was a stranger. And you invited me in. I was sick. And you looked after me. I needed a teacher. And you inspired me. I was lost. And you prayed for me. I was addicted. And you helped me break free. I needed a mentor. And you were there for me. I felt alone. And you showed me true community. You helped me experience the joy of worship. You made me feel welcome and safe. You gave me the strength to keep going. You led me to Jesus. Reminds me of uh, that little phrase, any old stick will do, right? And uh, I see lots of sticks out here. And so uh, you say to the Lord, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. And when you say that, be careful because he's going he's gonna to put you in places you never thought you'd be. So it's good to see everybody this morning. And uh, John Burnett, uh, one of our elders here, has an announcement he needs to make about small group ministry. Um, I was asked to come up and uh, talk about small groups for the fall. And uh, we're going to have uh, five small groups, a study on Philippians, a study on First Thessalonians, a study on ministering through spiritual gifts, a study on gospel fluency. I'm not sure about that one, what that is. Uh, and a study on giants of the missionary trail. Now, the real reason I'm up here, I got that out of the way, is I want to shamelessly plug the study I'll be leading, which is Philippians. Um, if you look in your Bible in the introductory notes, you'll probably see that Philippians is about joy, but that just scratches the surface. Philippians is about what you have to do to have joy in your life. And um, if you... If you look at MacArthur, everybody has a different slant. If you look at MacArthur, he said you have to have a God's point of view in your life. If you look at Wearsby, he says you have to have a single-mindedness focused on Christ. To me, when I read the book, you've got to have an eternal perspective in life. As you walk through this life, 
you got to have one eye on heaven. And um, this life is just a test. And the first test is what are you going to do with the gospel? That, that decides where you spend eternity. But after that, the test is how are you going to respond to God's working in your life? And that's what Philippians is about. Are you going to work with God? Are you going to try to hide your spiritual gifts? Or are you going to use them to their full extent? Um, are you going to you going to minister others? Or are you going to just minister to yourself? Are you going to use your finances to help minister? Or are you going to use them on yourself? That's what Philippians is about, how to have joy in your life. And so um, I know, I don't, I'm not sure when the other studies will be, but the study on Philippians will be on Sunday nights. And it will be in a home here close to the church, probably a five or six minute drive away. And uh, if Philippians is not what you need, please sign up for one of the other studies because small groups, um, that helps you stay in the word. It's helped you grow. And it also helps you uh, uh, have a better relationships with the people here. You go from being, uh, people go from being just a Sunday morning acquaintance to being somebody you really know, that you've prayed with, that you've shared with, that you've opened the word with. So I would encourage you to sign up for one of these groups. Thank you. All right, thank you, John. And I would encourage you as well to sign up for a group. It's an opportunity to get to know people, pray with people, <clears throat> be concerned about the things that are going on in their lives. There are so many things outside of Sunday morning that go on. You would just be absolutely shocked. Uh, what a week like is like here. <clears throat> so many people with so many things going on and things to pray about. And so I would encourage you to pray about where the Lord might want you in a small group. I want to make mention also of a service opportunity. I had lunch with Tracy Hips about <clears throat> three weeks ago. And um, we were talking about partnering together. And, you know, we support uh, Christian Service Mission. We support Tracy. And as we were sitting there eating lunch together... Um, you know, we were kind of recalling the days at Southeastern together because he and I weren't two of the best, uh, what we call examples, I guess, when we were there. We liked to have a good time, and uh, we're sitting there just amazed at the grace of God that the two of us are where we are today. Um, just talk about two sticks, <laughs> two, any two sticks, but Tracy and myself. But as we were sitting there eating lunch, um, just the opportunity to be I think faithful to help them is kind of what came across with to me as we were eating lunch. To be faithfully involved with Christian Service Mission, we don't have to purchase a ticket to go around the world somewhere. Um, it's just right here in Birmingham. And I know that some of you are familiar with it, obviously, but I would like to see, and I express to Tracy, an ongoing relationship with them where we're continually involved in ministry projects they have so many things that go on. <clears throat> and what he likes to see is he likes to see churches working together um, when they come or they volunteer. So September the 17th will be our first opportunity. <clears throat> now, you're going to have to come see me after church if you're interested because we're taking 20 uh, people. You have to be 14 years old to go. Um, I need 10 to 12 more people. I have some college students going that have been part of the college ministry and such. But 10 to 12 people uh, I still need for that Saturday. And I know college football, you know, week zero was yesterday. Who cares about what was going on yesterday? 
But uh, coming up these other Saturdays, we kind of care, don't we? But there's an opportunity to get away from football, prepare your mind for your team winning or losing, which, you know, be a good opportunity to do through the service project. But from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock on that Saturday morning, September 17th, we'll be packing boxes, Thanksgiving boxes. And uh, he has a uh, set up there where there will actually be 40 of us uh, doing that. Uh, 20, we're going to be working with a New Rising Star. They have 20 coming from their church, and, um, and we're going to have 20 as well. And even if we have just a little bit over that, it won't matter. There's things to do. But I want to encourage you, if you want to be a part of that, uh, September the 17th, uh, just contact me uh, sometime this week, or you can call the church office, and the ladies will keep count of how many. So the first 10 to 12 that call, it'll be, o- it'll be over for this time. <coughs> But we'll continue to do these, so you just keep your ears open, and we'll try to make it uh, to where we're projecting out further than, than this time, uh, being kind of quick. But um, I encourage you to, to think about how you want to be a part of that, all right, if you do. Um, this morning, I want us to have some prayer time before we um, begin our service, and I want you to have an opportunity just to pray where you are, and I'll, I'll pray um, in a couple of minutes as you have an opportunity to Maybe set your heart in the right position before we worship the Lord together. So let's bow in prayer. Father, I pray that we're here today because we desire to worship you with others and that we desire that you would um, work in our hearts and our lives, um, that we would be open to your spirit teaching us and leading us. We discuss a subject today that's very critical to the church, to the life of the church. I believe that um, what we discuss today... um, Leadership uh, must be out front on this. It must be important to the leadership, and um, we must rely on you and each do our part. So I pray that as we um, worship you today, Father, through um, music and through the teaching of your word and preaching of your word, that your spirit would um, move in our hearts and in our lives and that we would not only be willing to be changed but um, maybe even be willing to, to do some harder things than, than that um, that uh, you might lead us into areas that maybe we haven't thought about in a while things we maybe have not thought about in a while and I think it'll make more sense when we discuss our subject this morning but I just pray that your spirit would work in the hearts and the lives of those that are here. And uh, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be together this morning. And all these things I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Good morning, church. Great to see everybody. You guys ready to worship this morning? All right, well, we know worship is more than just music, right? It's our lives. It's our reading of the word, our study. It's just everything about us. That Anything we do, we can be worshiping. But music is a great gift from the Lord. It helps us channel our emotions 
channel our feelings, um, and just to really get into sense of all of who he is. Our songs this morning about Jesus, so let's all stand. Let's magnify his name.
If I join you in your suffering, I'll join you in your eyes. When you return in glory, all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing, my song will be the same. Oh, Christ be magnified, let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified. redeemed only beauty remains my orphan heart was given a name my morning grew quiet my feet rose to dance when death was arrested my life began Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now, life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down. prison no more my shame was a race be faithfully born he canceled my debt and he called me his friend when death was a race Your 
sinner displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with a freedom in
church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of all shall not kneel, shall not faint. By His blood and in His name, in His freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. Father, we just thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross, Lord. That something we can't even fathom, Lord, that your justice had to be satisfied and no one else could do it. Why Jesus? He's the only one. He's the only one that could fulfill the law. He's the only one that could live a sinless, perfect life, Lord. We couldn't do it. You had to send yourself to do it, your own son. We just are so grateful. We're, we're just in awe of you. So help us, Lord. Help us to not just leave here today uh, feeling good about singing some songs, but help us to live lives, Lord, worthy of the calling with which you've called us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all be seated. For some of you, you'll be able to relate to this, and for others, you might have to use your imagination some, but do you remember the days when you started taking vacations with your children, and there was such a unity that transpired as you were traveling, and everyone was smiling, and everyone was happy, and there was no arguing that took place at all, and you thought, gee, honey, I want to do this again next year. In fact, I think I want to, next year, I want to invite another family to go with us and see how that works out, and, and so you plan to take another family with you, and you see all the happiness and the unity and the smiling, no arguing, no complaining, no grumbling. It's just a fun time. Any of you ever experienced that? If you have, I want to go with you on your next trip. <laughs> the subject that we discuss today is the subject of unity. Now, if you want to leave, the doors are in the back. Unity is a very difficult subject because it demands that we speak about people and it demands that we look in our own lives and measure how am I doing with that personally? What am I contributing to the unity of the saints? 
There is a saying that you have heard. It goes like this. To dwell above with saints in love, that will indeed be glory. To dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. And all God's people said amen, right? That's the truth. It's interesting when you go to the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, which we'll just briefly look at, but our text for the morning of consideration is actually in the Old Testament. You've probably focused on one verse in that particular text that we'll look at, but maybe not the rest because you were a little fearful, as I was when I went and began to study it. Um, Let's look just briefly, some texts in the New Testament that speak of this issue of unity. Now remember, just to kind of bring you up to speed, we've been discussing um, biblical leadership in the context of elders and deacons and looking at those things that are critical to the life of a body. Um, We've talked about the importance of leadership being on the same page as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ, guarding the gospel. We talked about that for a couple of three weeks, actually. And then we discussed the issue of guarding integrity last week. The importance of guarding that in leadership, but the importance of guarding that in our own lives. This morning, we want to discuss the issue of guarding unity, and it begins on the leadership level. There must be a, a unity within the leadership Uh, Otherwise, the people are going to be a little bit uneasy. In fact, a lot bit uneasy. And and you begin to have departures in your local bodies when there's not unity among the staff, among the leadership within the church. It can become a pretty ugly scene. Isn't that true? It absolutely can be. And so we have to be sure that we're doing our part as individual believers to guard the unity and that begins with the elders and the deacons and the church staff. That must be in place. Now, in a high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, um, one of the things that he prays for is unity. Look at this. I do not ask on behalf of these alone being the disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be what? One. Even as you, Father, are in me, And I in you that they may also be in us, so that the world and look at the look at the weight of this, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's pretty heavy, right? To think about the fact that you know the disciples were out there, people were watching them. So we fast forward a couple thousand years and and people are watching us. Can you imagine if you went around the city of Birmingham and just asked the question, what do you think about the church? kind of responses would you get? What are your thoughts on the church today? If you went into some churches and asked that, that would be pretty interesting, likely. Because the church is often thought of as an organization. It's not an organization. It's a living organism. That living organism should give off the odor of being unified. And that's really, really critical and very, very difficult. You think about the early church and the unity that existed there. But from there, once you get more and more people involved, wouldn't you say it becomes more and more difficult 
to maintain unity. The birth of that little beautiful child that you have that you're adding to your family. You had two children and now you're about to have three. It's like, oh, and they grow up. And did you know children even argue at times? There's not always unity in the home. Um, Very, very difficult to parent. My children are out of the house, praise the Lord Jesus. And don't come back. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, Now, in the context, um, there was division that was present in the church in Corinth. Um, you know, some were saying, I'm a Paul, I'm a Peter, I'm of Apollos. There was these factions in the church. And so he says, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's the weight. So Paul's not just, hey, I'm exhorting you. But he's saying, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree. <laughs> when you read that, you kind of laugh just for a second. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. Same church. A little bit later. Finally, brethren, rejoice. This is at the end of 2 Corinthians. Be made complete, be comforted, be like minded live in peace how many of you enjoy living in peace i love it i don't like discord i don't wake up in the morning going boy i hope there's some division today no i want there to be unity right i want there to be i want unity in my family i want unity in the church family um, Paul writes about the importance of that. And I think, in fact, if you studied it in, de- in more depth, just the subject of unity in the New Testament, you would find it is a major theme in the life of the Apostle Paul as he writes. Um, because, and I, I'm going to say this several times, but you know, we, give, we give off an odor. Did you know that? And sometimes we stink. We need to make sure, and I, I want to encourage all of us, and it begins with me. I'll put myself out there first. We need to make sure we're doing our part, all right, and being humble, being teachable, allowing the Spirit of God to work in our lives. You've probably had this situation transpire in your life where you've had to make something right with another believer in Christ in order that there would be harmony. You ever had to do that? Or have you had to do that yet? That is a humbling experience. But a very, very important issue in the life of the church. Paul, and to me, one of the most critical texts in the New Testament, um, after he writes uh, in chapters 1 through 3 about all the blessings we have as believers, and he writes about all the glory at the end of uh, chapter 3, he talks about all the glory belonging to the, to the Lord Jesus. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. He's begging. That word in the Greek is a very strong word. It means beg. Okay? So you've seen people beg for things. Your children have begged not to be disciplined. Do you understand that kind of how that looks? Paul's begging them. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called and then he tells you what the attitude that's to have. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, 
Look what he says. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Easy to do. Difficult to do. Important to do. Important to do. What's my part? And so I think that there has to be the mind that I would cut my own grass, so to speak, before I hop over the fence and cut my neighbor's grass. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, what am I doing to maintain unity in the body of Christ? Before I jump the fence and tell my brother or sister in Christ, hey, you need to, (laughs) got to be careful with that, okay? Peter says it as well. He says to sum up in 1 Peter 3.8, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, uh, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, harmonious. It's important that believers get along together. And that is very difficult and yet not impossible. Because otherwise, if it was impossible, Paul wouldn't have written it. Right? He wouldn't have said, hey, I'm begging you to do this. The reality is that there can be harmony as we are submissive daily to the Spirit of the Lord. I like what C.H. Spurgeon writes about this particular subject. He says, oh, for more of this rare virtue. Not the love which comes and goes, but that which dwells. Not that spirit which separates and secludes, but that which dwells together. Not that mind which is all for debate and difference, but that which dwells together in unity. Might I just make a comment about that second to last line? He says, not that mind which is all for debate and difference, that happens a lot with young believers. A lot of debate, a lot of difference, not a lot of thought about maintaining unity in the body. Because many, many times I've been there. I mean, I was young once, believe it or not, and I remember, well, I'm I'm standing on this issue, even though it wasn't a primary issue. Well, I'm not moving one inch. You know, and you're looking at the person across from you who's born again, and you're like, "I'm I'm not moving. But you're not talking about the gospel. You're just maybe talking about just as the color of the carpet, right? The paint on the wall. Uh, how this person's teaching this class and this person's teaching this class, but, you're, but, uh, but they're saying, hey, look, I don't want that person teaching. And I don't want that person teaching. And, and you might have a position that differs from them. And so then all of a sudden, you go from a small discussion to a huge argument, that happens, you know, in team sports, it happens all the time. Right? Maintaining unity. Imagine maintaining unity, coaching a football team of 100 guys. Or maintaining unity on a basketball team. I played basketball when I was in college, and we had 12 guys. My first year, we had a coach who believed that uh, you ought to have the philosophy of five that go in and play for, let's say, six or seven minutes, and then you sub those five for another five. Well, even the players didn't want to do that. In fact, if you talked to any of the players, they would have said, bad idea. Because maybe one through seven, the talent is about the same. But eight, nine, and ten, not so much. 
So maintaining unity, you think about it in team sports, or let's just get away from sports and talk about the theater. You're going to, to, to be in a play, and all of a sudden you have 15 to 20 people coming in and one director, and the director stands up and says, boy, I know we're all going to get along. Everything's going to go great. I imagine, I've never been in a play I don't plan on being in a play. But I imagine that there are even points of discussion and even points of maybe difference or disagreement. Now you multiply that by a room like this and, well, do you think we're always in agreement about everything? No. So how are we going to maintain unity in the body of Christ? Well, Spurgeon obviously believe this to be a very, very critical point uh, in the life of the church. Now, I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. We're going to look at this issue of unity. Now, this is a psalm that Right from the beginning, I am quite certain many of you are familiar with verse 1. But I'm not so certain how familiar you are with verses 2 and 3. Because the author of the psalm, which is David, um, includes verses 2 and 3 and gives us a picture of what unity does. The blessings, if you will, of unity. Um, I want to just share a few things with you. And I I put these on PowerPoint because this is maybe not a psalm that you've kind of landed on so much in the past. So I have a few notes for your consideration today. The first thing is that this is a psalm of ascent. There are 15 psalms of ascent, four of which David is the author. Okay? Four of which David is the author. Um, They occur between Psalm 120 and Psalm 134. Um, This is the fourth psalm of ascent that's attributed to David. Uh, The meaning of the term ascent is a song for going up to a high place. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But I want you to have in mind, uh, and I'll mention this again in a minute, but I think it's important to mention here. I want you to have in mind... um, Israel or the Jewish people going to these different feasts throughout or festivals throughout the year and meeting up and then journeying into Jerusalem and all for the purpose of worshiping the Lord. But they all come from different tribes. They all have different backgrounds. And you know how it is when you're traveling and all of a sudden you're meeting up with somebody and that's great and wonderful, but but then you begin to talk, and there, there's differences, and there's challenges as it relates to differences. So the more you're adding in number, the more challenges they are, there is for unity. Um, I do think it's important to mention at this point, though, when this psalm may have been written, um, and this is a may have been written, this is not like in concrete, But this psalm may have been written after David was finally received as king over all the tribes of Israel, which is recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 
I don't know if you know this, but there was not an immediate unity after David was made king. And it's recorded in 2 Samuel 5 and 1 Chronicles 12 that David was crowned at Hebron. Uh, and a picture there in, in 1 Chronicles and 2 Samuel 5 is a picture of unity uh, for the nation. When David then was accepted as the king of Israel. Um, so that's kind of important, I think, in the context it could be, because I think when you, when you look at what's going to be discussed here as it relates to um, what's falling down, what's going down, which is oil, especially in that first picture that he gives to us, um, part of the wardrobe of the high priest was um, in relationship to the 12 tribes. So what did the Lord want for the 12 tribes of Israel? Unity. What do you find later in their history? Disunity. Okay? So um, you have in context potentially this particular time when the nation has come together and, and David is recording these words. Um, the third and fourth observation kind of go together. For the Jewish people, the high place was Jerusalem. Okay? In context, specifically them going to the temple to worship the Lord. And so you need to have a picture of what I give to you there. The Jewish people traveling together for the yearly feast in Jerusalem, coming to one point, all right, and coming for one specific purpose. And that specific purpose was to worship the Lord. You think about, just in our day, okay, that's the nation of Israel, but for us, we gather on a Sunday and we come to a specific place to do what? Why do you come? We come to worship. So we can all agree on that, I hope, right? That we gather on a Sunday morning to worship the Lord. But maybe even some of you come in here for a different primary purpose. Maybe some of you come because you want to see a friend, right? Nothing wrong with wanting to see a friend, but is that primarily why we gather together? The reason that we gather together primarily is to worship the Lord, we don't even gather primarily to hear someone talk or to see someone sing. We come to worship the Lord together. All of that other stuff's involved, but the Lord is the center of attention. I think that's probably one of the big challenges we have in our church culture today. That when we come to a church building and we sit in a service, that the uh, microscope is not put on the one leading the worship or the one teaching, although it's fine to evaluate but that we're thinking through this issue that we've gathered together on a Sunday morning to point people toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that okay? I think that's okay. I know the message from parents when they think about putting their kids into a Sunday school class or into a youth group is, I want them to teach the Word. I want them to give them the gospel. I want them to develop their growth. Right, So when Israel came together, they came together for one specific purpose. But as they began to journey to Jerusalem, coming from different regions, they would all collect on that road to Jerusalem. And wow, what a scene that must have been uh, in more ways than one. Think about even in the history of Israel when Moses led the people out of Egypt, man, they got, all of those guys got along so well. It was such a wonderful journey, wasn't it? 
And Moses was like, Lord, thank you for giving me these people. They're such wonderful people. Difficult, isn't it? To live together or to dwell together. Well, let's look at the psalm itself and let's break down verse 1 and then we'll look at verses 2 and 3. Look what it tells us here in verse 1. David writes, Behold! That's kind of how we ought to read it in the Hebrew. That's what the emphasis is. Now notice this, how good and how pleasant. It's not how good and pleasant. It's how good and how pleasant. Why? Emphasis. Emphasis. Because what's, what, what could happen? Well, it's good and pleasant. It's okay, great. No, he, David is putting a lot of emphasis here on how good, how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Now, the first thing that we need to consider is the word behold. It's one of those words that you might just read and read over, but the idea, if we were to use um, our vernacular today, it would be pay attention, listen up. What I'm about to say is really critical. It would be like me saying, hey guys, listen up. Teresa and I are having another child. I just woke you up. I just woke Teresa up. We're not having another child. But that's the idea. Behold, I've got something to say. I need you to listen. Um, It's like, you know, you're in front of your kids and you might, hey, I need you to listen. Or a teacher that comes up and says, hey, I need you to listen. I wanted to tell you just briefly, I didn't ask Dr. Hugh about it, but I remember this so vividly when I I was in his classes. Every great once in a while, he would have to come up to a student and he would put his hand on your shoulder and say, kind brother, won't you rejoin us? The kind brother, I think, was to get your attention. But the idea was he wanted you to pay attention. So that's the idea here. Um, Notice he says, behold how good and how pleasant. That word good means it's beneficial. It's excellent. Beneficial for us... I don't know that that really necessarily there's enough emphasis there. How beneficial. Because we might think, okay, it's just a little bit uh, better than okay. No, 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 no. The idea here is how good, how excellent, how beneficial it is for brothers to dwell in unity together. So, is there a benefit in dwelling in unity together? Yes. Boy, dissension's awful. Tastes bad, doesn't it? We don't like the way it tastes. We understand it's there. But we don't like the way it tastes. But David says, how good. And then he says, how pleasant. That word pleasant means how beautiful, how sweet. Unity tastes good, right? 
tastes good. It smells good. It is good. And it's not only good from our perspective, but more importantly, it's great from the Lord's perspective. What did he want for Israel? He wanted Israel to dwell together in unity. What does he want for the church? To dwell together in unity. How good, how pleasant it is for brothers. Here the idea is those following the Lord to dwell or to live together in unity. And isn't that where the challenge is? To live or to dwell together in unity? That is the challenge. Every single day, we deal with the issue of unity. Every day. Now, you might not have come in thinking, we deal with the issue of unity. But we do, every day. We deal with it in our homes. We deal with it in our jobs. We deal with it in our sports. We deal with it in our recreation. We deal with it in the church. And it's something that just won't go away. It's critical. The word here, dwell, means to live together. It's a picture of, of that road that they're on to Jerusalem. And all of, these, these, all of Israel is coming to one point, and they're coming together. That's the idea. I love that picture. It's a great picture. When I was a young um, teenager, one of the things that... Um, I enjoyed doing, and I didn't enjoy doing it for the right reasons, so I'm just going to say that right up front. Um, we used to have these walkathons. I don't know if y'all remember, young people, I don't know today that you would even know about walkathons, but March of Dimes used to do walkathons. You know why I did the walkathons? Girls. I just wanted to meet girls. I was a teenage boy. I was like, I'm going to meet girls. I'd say, hey, Dad, I want to walk in the March of Dimes. He's like, why? Well, just, you know, Dad, I want to help out, and so I'd walk in the March of Dimes looking for girls. That's what I did. But the picture that I have, though, is kind of that same picture I have of, of Israel marching toward Jerusalem. It's like all this mass of people moving in the same direction. That's the picture we need to have. This mass of people, all these tribes moving in one direction, different, yes, different Places they've come from, yes, but all going for one purpose. That purpose is to worship the Lord. You know, it, it also brings to mind, right, every tongue and tribe and people and nation are going to be before the Lord. Mar hey, we're marching to heaven. There's a great picture of this idea in... Uh, the early church in Acts chapter 2. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. This is when the church began. Remember Acts 2. He said, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed, they were together. And by the way, you know how that church continued to grow and grow and grow. At all things in common, they began selling their property and possessions. They were sharing with them all, as anyone might have need. Man, if you're doing that, there's selflessness going on. There's humility going on. Day by day, continuing with what? One mind in the temple. Breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together 
with gladness and with sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, I made a couple observations because I look at that Acts 2 and I go, man, that is a beautiful picture of unity. But I made two observations over the years as it relates to this subject of unity. And I just want to make mention of them. I didn't put them in my PowerPoint, but um, it kind of came to me later <laughs> in the process. But I wrote them down. If you are going to stand alone, be sure the hill that you are dying on is major, not minor. You said, that. how do you know? Well... As you get older in the Lord, you'll know. But if you need help with it, ask somebody who's more mature. In all the division I've seen over the years, I've seen some things that are maybe considered major by some. But this is what I've also seen. I, I guess I just haven't seen at times the humility it takes to sit down with another brother or sister in Christ... And talk about, really talk about the issue. Not according to man's wisdom, but according to God's. And there's a difference. And the other thing I mentioned earlier, but I wrote it down anyway. As it relates to maintaining unity, be sure to take care of your own yard before you take care of your neighbors. It's very critical. It, it, it forces you to ask the question... Lord, what am I doing to preserve unity in the body of Christ? Well, in Acts chapter 2, it's a beautiful picture of the unity that was taking place in the early church. And obviously, as we know, as we read forward the, fast forward the pages, I mean, we see this disunity going on in the Corinthian church. We know there was disunity. We see two women in, in, uh, mentioned in, in Philippians 4, to get along in the Lord, you know, live in harmony in the Lord. I mean, it's important that we understand that is an issue. But I think, practically speaking, when there's disunity with another brother or sister, I need to, and this is just really practical, I need to sit down and I need to pray about it. I need to say, Lord, what is my part in this? What's my part? Am I wrong? Am I making something major out of something that's really minor? It's really, really difficult. Well, okay. As we move on, he gives us a couple of different illustrations, pictures of this unity and how precious it is. Notice at the end of verse 1, he says, For uh, brothers to dwell together in unity. And then he says, It is. Unity is. That's the picture. Unity is like the precious oil upon the head. Coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Coming down upon the robes, excuse me, coming down upon the edge of his robes. Now, there's a few things I need to tell you about this oil thing. First of all, um, the oil here, notice the modifier. What's there? What does he say? Precious oil. Now, oil... Um, was a precious commodity then, it is now different. 
But when we think of oil, and we think of someone being anointed with oil, it's not only spoke about in the Old Testament, but you have people being anointed with oil in the New Testament. If you go to Luke chapter 7. and One of the things that um, used to take place when um, people would travel, especially over in Israel in those days, is when travelers would come and they might lodge at your house or stay at your house for a bit, it was normal for you to anoint their head with oil. Now, there was a couple of different reasons for that. That sounds odd to us, right? Okay, When we receive people in our home, we don't anoint them with oil. We don't put oil on their forehead. Um, at least I never have had that done to me, and I'm not asking you to do that either. But I want you to think about Israel, okay? And um, I want you to think about what it was like in that, in that country and kind of how that, that geography was. And a lot of times these travelers, as they're, as they're coming to a home and they're coming into a home, they're hot and they're sweaty and they need to get cool and they need to smell better. And not only was oil used to put on the person's forehead to kind of cool them down, but it was also used to give them, let's just say, a better odor. Because many times they would walk into a home and they would be anointed with oil and they needed to be cooled off, but they needed to smell better as well. Kind of reminded me as I was studying this historically, I was like, it kind of reminds me of junior high boys. I mean, they, maybe junior high boys need to be anointed with oil. Cool them off and make them smell better because something happens when they're in junior high. They're like, and I want to free you junior high boys. It's not do I need to wear deodorant. We've advanced a lot. It's I need to wear deodorant, right? So one of the things that oil was used to do was to anoint a person's head. It was tend to be, tended to be a point of refreshment for that person as they came into your home. Um, this precious oil, I don't have this for you in my notes, but this precious oil had a specific recipe. And that specific recipe comes from Exodus chapter 30. Uh, it tells us there about... Uh, the uh, specific uh, recipe for this precious oil. Um, uh, let's see, what else was there there? Okay. Um, a couple other things about this oil that um, need to be pointed out. The oil symbolized the unity of the nation in worship under their consecrated priest. Because Aaron would have been anointed with oil. He was consecrated, or he was set apart as the high priest. All right? And this oil, as you can see here, pictured in verse 2, he says it is like unity, is like the precious oil upon the head coming down. Now, notice this, this uh, picture here. The oil is coming down, and again, later on in the verse, it's coming down. So this oil was used... Uh, not only to consecrate the priest, but as Walverd points out, and that's the notes that I have, and Walverd says this, that the oil symbolized the unity of the nation in worship. Okay, so as the, as the nation was coming together, it's a picture here of, of unity, all right? Um, the second point that Walverd makes is as the oil consecrated Aaron, so the unity of the worshipers in Jerusalem would consecrate the nation uh, under God. Um, what's interesting, if 
about the description here, because as you can see, notice he says, it is like the precious oil coming upon the head, coming down upon the beard, Aaron's beard. So you see it, it's abundant, it's flowing down. Uh, it's coming down upon the edge of his robes. Um, the high priest uh, wore a robe, and the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that the, on the breastplate was on the breastplate of the high priest were the names of the 12 tribes. Okay? So as you picture this, you picture the high priest wearing this robe as one who's been consecrated as the high priest of Israel. And you picture that oil being put on his head and coming down through his beard and onto his breastplate. And that's where the 12 tribes were, okay? Um, The names of all the tribes were on the breastplate. And so as I'm thinking through this psalm, I'm going, wow, what a wonderful picture of unity. It begins with the one who's been consecrated or set apart as their leader, and it just flows down, and it continues to flow. So not only does it flow down from the head and the beard of Aaron, but it flows down to the tribes. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Because unity begins where? It begins with the one who's leading, and it flows down to the people. And that's exactly what uh, John Walbert is saying here in his points about the oil. So verse 2 tells us um, that unity is like this precious oil, all right, which uh, was not only used to consecrate Aaron, but it was used to picture uh, the unity that the Lord wanted for the nation of Israel. Um, The second picture that he gives us is about the dew, all right? Look at verse 3. Unity, again, it begins with it is. Unity is like the dew of Hermon, which is a mountain, okay? Coming down upon the mountains, notice that's plural of Zion or Jerusalem. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. I made you some notes here from a Bible dictionary. Hermon is the name of a high mountain between what is now Syria and Lebanon, just kind of get you to picture that, about 9,200 feet in elevation. And so this is what would take place. Uh, when the snow melts or melted, moisture would go up into the air. At night, the air in Israel cools off quite a bit, which I've been there, and it does. It's hard to believe. It can be, you know, even Jerusalem, it can be 90 during the day, and you're hot and sweaty, but at night it's 50s and 60s. Um, the moisture then condenses and results in, a, in an abundance of dew. The dew is important for keeping vegetation alive during the dry summer months because as you can picture the snow on the tops of Mount Hermon as you go down further and further and away from the mountain, it's drier. So the picture here is that this dew brings refreshment to what is below. That's what you need to think. Okay. My conclusion on the dew is this, that David is picturing the refreshing effect of unity in the Lord. That's what dew does. Dew refreshes. When you think about the dew of the morning, it refreshes. It brings life. This is what David, I believe, is saying. He's picturing the refreshment, the effect of unity has uh, in the Lord. He says, I wrote, this unity keeps life from withering and dying. Now, if I've been to Israel, and as you go out from what uh, is considered higher in elevation down to Jericho, 
Um, it is miserable down in Jericho. But as you come up, even to Jerusalem, the temperatures are different. Jerusalem is like 2,400 to 3,000 feet in elevation. So it's just different. And then Mount Hermon, flowing down from Mount Hermon, you would have this snow that would gather uh, there and then the dew that would form as a result of, of what we just read. And so it brought about life. So I believe that's exactly what uh, David is talking about here. It causes life to bloom even in desert regions. And that's what unity does. Unity, listen, unity flows down from the leadership and it gets into the, to the people, so to speak, and it gets into the cracks and the crevices. That's what unity does. John MacArthur, in writing about this particular um, text, he says, Mount Hermon provided the major water supply for the Jordan River by its melting snow. And he gives kind of two options here. He says this reference could be to the Jordan, uh, to the Jordan River water supply or figuratively to the actual prevalent dew of Hermon being hypothetically transported to Zion. He said either way this pictures a refreshing material blessing. It brings life. That's what dew does. You know, oil was refreshing. So there's this sense as it relates to unity that it's refreshing. You know, it's good to dwell. That's why he says it's good for brothers to dwell together in unity. So he compares it to um, oil and he compares it to dew. Now he ends up in verse 3 and he says this. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there, where is there? Well, mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. Life forever. I like to say this is a blessing upon a blessing. As I read this, I go, well, the blessing is that brothers would dwell together in unity. But the icing on the cake is this. The icing on the cake is life forever. John Walford, in commenting on this, he says, while unity is certainly a blessing for God's people and is expected. And that's the way we need to think. The blessing of all blessings is for God's people to live forever in the presence of the Lord. You know, we always say, because the scripture reads this way, there'll be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more disunity. We're all going to live harmoniously in front of our Lord and in front of our Savior, Jesus Christ. When I was in another church um, I guess I was about two years into it and it came to a kind of a critical juncture um, we were having some issues in some of the educational ministries and um, I had some people coming to see me on a pretty regular basis and they all they weren't all smiling uh, they said that I think we need to really look at this change that you're desiring to make and we really need to take a sharp look at that and and I said, okay, I'm willing to do that. Um, but I want us to be open to, to maybe some of these changes that might need to take place. Long story short, um, even after making a big presentation to the church body, uh, that ministry just kind of closed down. And I 
night, there were two families that immediately exited stage right without any explanation. I didn't even have an opportunity to have an audience. They just left. And um, I remember as we sat in a big room together, about 25 of us, um, we were saying, what is it that we're going to do? You know, how are we going to move forward here? In the midst of what was difficult, I saw 25 people who were willing to say, Lord, whatever it is you want us to do, we'll do. Sometimes I think that we're our own worst enemy when it comes to unity. That we needed to kind of take a hard look at what we need to do to preserve unity, just like Paul wrote, wrote in Ephesians chapter 4. I wanted to end the service this morning by reading a passage of Scripture, and I'd like you to take your Bibles and go with me to Revelation 4. Revelation 4. You know, in the church today, you have people who prefer hymns. You have people who prefer praise music. You have lots of different preferences that go on. And um, I always kind of think about I mean, for me, I'm, I like both. I like the praise music. I like the hymns. I like, I like all of it. But all of us have preferences. As I was reading through Revelation 4, I thought, you know, Lord, there's going to come a day where in heaven your saints are going to gather and there's going to be unity and there's going to be the right focus. The unity is we're coming. It's like Israel. We're coming to that point of worship. That high place is heaven. We're coming to sit in front of our Lord and our Savior. And there, that this unity stuff's gone. And this is the picture that we have of the one that's being worshipped. It says, after these things, what things? After the church was taken out, taken to heaven to be with the Lord, after these things, I looked up and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. And the outline of Revelation is in chapter 1. The things um, which have been, the things which are, and the things which shall be. And so he's saying, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. And immediately I was in the Spirit and behold a throne was standing in heaven. And one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And out from the throne came come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night. 
they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy. You remember those words appearing in Isaiah chapter 6? Here they are again. And guys, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, here it is, worthy are you. You have to pause when you read that. Worthy are you. None of us are worthy, but he is. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. You go into chapter 5, it's another scene. It's just another worship scene. You know, one of the things that can happen to you in, in the life of a church is there can be points and times of discouragement because of disunity. It happens. It's, it's just part of, part of life in the church. Might I encourage you to something? That we would think about our part and our role as individual believers as it relates to unity. Because you know what the Lord wants? He wants us to give off an odor that's pleasing to him. You know what he wanted for Israel? He wanted them to get out, give off an odor that was pleasing to him. And that can happen as each of us are submitted to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for the gift of unity because it is a gift. We're reading through this psalm and I was thinking about the oil being applied to Aaron coming down. He was the the representative, the high priest, and, and, and he would go in for the people and, um, and yet offer, sins for, offer uh, sacrifice for himself because he was sinful, but offer it also for the people. Because I think about the blessings that flowed off of Aaron. I think about, Lord, the blessing of forgiveness. I think about the blessing of unity that even Israel experienced for a time. As we see the history of Israel, we see that progress and we see the divided kingdom. And, and Lord, we just see how all that can go awry in a pretty quick time period. And I just pray, Lord, that you would have on our minds and our hearts the issue of unity. That we would be unified here at Grace. That we would stand on the gospel of Christ. That we would have an integrity that's contagious and that there would be a sweet smell that protrudes from this body of believers that's contagious to those around us. All, all, for your honor and for your glory. Because as this text tells us, you're the only one that's worthy. And so we ask for your help by your spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, the word... Um Amen or amen. Uh, most of y'all probably know it means so let it be. 
And we just want to sing this song just as kind of a benediction for you guys. You can remain seated. And uh, if you know the words, feel free to sing along. But just keep that in mind. The song comes alive a little more, means a little more when you keep that in the back of your mind of what the word amen actually means. Beside you, 
all around you, within you, he is with you, he is with you, in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, in your going, in your weeping and rejoicing, he is for you, 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 he is for you. For you, oh, oh, oh. Amen. 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 thinking we don't talk about smells a lot you know you don't typically come up and um, talk about the way someone smells probably not very nice to do that but you know uh, for Israel I mean smells were a big deal if you read the Old Testament Leviticus Exodus all those things and one of the things that I was uh, recalling I didn't mention earlier but I wanted to is us being a pleasing aroma to the Lord and I just wanted to close by reading a scripture passage that um, might help us in that just briefly before we, we go. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we don't want to grieve the Lord. So let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. That's a progressive thing in the Greek language. Harsher and harsher. Along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That forgiving each other peace is absolutely key to unity. And he says, therefore, be imitators of God, mimic God as beloved children. So he gives us a beautiful picture of our position, children who are loved. But listen to what he says, and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you, past tense, and gave himself up for us, listen to this, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You think about Christ and the sacrifice that he made was a pleasing aroma to the Father. To think that you and I have the responsibility to be Pleasing aromas. Let's smell good. So young people, yes, wear deodorant. But guess what? Your parents need to do it too. And spiritually, help us, Lord, right, to smell good as we interact with one another and as we interact with the world. All right, let's pray together. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for your word. And as I think about all the different commands that you gave Israel 
um, in the Old Testament and all the things that they had to do. Um, they were burdensome for sure. And you expected them to completely obey. And um, I even think about this recipe that you gave and just all how specific it was. And it couldn't be anything else. It had to be just like you said. And obedience is key component to unity. So just as it was for Israel, that they would be obedient to the things that you showed for them, I pray that we would be obedient to the things you show for us as the church. Help us by your spirit, we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Don't forget, I need 10 to 12 volunteers September 17th. All right.